Well, glory to God. Y'all ready to hear the word of God? Amen. We're going to talk this morning about self-effort and rest. Um, you know, I, I, I grew up in a, a church where a lot of our, our it was based on self-effort. And even after I was first saved, so much uh, was built upon self-effort. And, and by that, I don't want to leave the impression that we don't ever do anything. You know, James says that faith without works is dead. But we, we, we work because of what Jesus did for us. We don't work trying to get something from Jesus. And oftentimes that's where we, we, we see the air coming in. And, and uh, then we don't rightly divide the word of truth. And what I want to do a little bit this morning, not to a great extent, but, you know, comparing the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, there's a lot of people, they, even though they're New Testament folk, they're still operating under Old Testament principles. I mean, if you look at many of our denominations, especially when you look at what is referred to as the high church, um, you know, so much of what they do is, is based on Old Testament principles because of the rituals and so forth. And, and <clears throat> I'm not saying that there's, there's necessarily anything wrong with that. But what's wrong with it is when we begin to put our trust and our confidence in that. In the Old Testament, um, the Israelites, the Jews, they worked. And they worked because if they didn't do certain things, the blessing wasn't going to come into their life. We work because the blessing has already been imparted into our life. We live by faith. We don't live by trying to earn and get God to do something. You know, there's a lot of people that are trying to get God to do something. And the problem with that is he's already done it. You know, the Bible says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of Father God on high. There's a reason you sit down. You've completed your job. You've finished your work. Now me, I get to sit around all day long. But for most people... You know, when they sit down, it's because they've, they've completed their task. They've, they've finished the work. Jesus, when he finished his work, he, he brought his blood to heaven. And he sat down at the right hand of Father God because the sacrifice was complete. Jesus' work was done. His stripes have already been striped. I don't know how you say that, but it'll work. He's already done it all. Jesus already became poor so that we might be rich. He's seated at the right hand of Father God on high. And that's why we walk by faith and not by sight. Because we may not be able to see it, but we know it. We have confidence in it. We have assurance that it's already been done because Jesus gave us his word and then he sat down and said it's finished. Let me tell you something, if you have a vision of Jesus and he's standing next to the throne, <clears throat> get ready. Because that means he's ready for his next endeavor, which is to come and get you and I. 
And so Jesus is seated at the right hand of Father God on high. And so we don't, we don't live, we don't operate off of our actions, our effort. We depend upon what Jesus has already done for us. And that's what it is when we begin to talk about grace and uh, what Jesus has done for us. You know, we, we look at the law of Moses. That law was given for a specific purpose. Man had this concept, this idea that he could live without God. And you know, as that video of John Smithwick, as he's ministering to these folk, as he's talking to them, that's what we see in our culture and our society today, is people have this idea that they don't need God anymore. They can do it on their own. That's talk, talking about effort. But you know, as a Christian, when it's dependent upon effort, how do you know when you've done enough? Because I'll answer that for you. You will never know because you will never do enough. The only answer is what Jesus has already done for us and that we put our trust and we put our confidence in him. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn them to the Gospel of John. Uh, and the first, first verse, first chapter rather. And we're going to read verse 14 and then we'll drop down to verse 17. And it says, and the word became flesh. Who's the word? It's Jesus. And it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. Do you realize Jesus is full of it? He's full of grace. And he's full of truth. Do you know what we're supposed to be full of? We're to be full of grace. And we're to be full of truth. 17th verse. For the law was given through Moses. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And why did that grace and truth come? That grace and truth came to set us free. Do you realize that the law of Moses was not able to set anybody free? If anything, the law of Moses brought people into bondage and it brought them into bondage because they realized how they needed help. How they were in shackles, they were in chains, they were, the, the things of this world held them in bondage. And the law never set them free. All that the law did was reveal to individuals the bondage, how they couldn't do it. But Jesus came along and through that grace and that truth which abided in him, he made it possible for you and me to be free. You know, it's a lie of the enemy that tells us over and over again that we can't be free. Yes, we can. You know, you, you, you watch all the 
tear-jerking programs on TV and they'll tell you how there's absolutely no hope, you know. And, uh, but there is hope. Our hope is in Jesus. He's the one that sets us free. And how does he set us free? By applying the 45 principles? No, it's by believing what he says in his word. He has come to set the captives free. Grace is not a, simply a subject or a curriculum. You know, if you go to a, a Bible school or something, one of the subjects, hopefully, that you're going to study, it's going to be the subject of grace. The curriculum is going to be evolve around grace. Hopefully, they, they teach that there. But you know what? It's so much more than that. It's the person of Jesus. And so if you leave, if you leave Jesus out, there is no, there is no grace. There isn't, there isn't any hope. You know, that's why basically there, there's two religions, if we want to call them religions. There's two faiths. There's, there's Jesus, and then there's everything else. Because nothing else will bring you wholeness. Nothing else will bring you freedom. Nothing else will set you free but Jesus. Because it's not because of the subject. It's because of the individual. It's because of who we look to. Who we trust in. Who we turn to. And so it's not about our, our performance. It's not a, it, there, there, there's this element of obedience in, in following after Jesus. But it's not about our performance. It's about what, what Jesus has already done for us. And when we begin to see that, and we begin to recognize, and we begin to acknowledge that, what happens is the obedience begins to follow along. You know, Christianity has been made so difficult. It's been no, you know, last week we talked about change. And Christianity has been, been, been made so difficult because we have to do this, that, and the other thing. But really what Christianity boils down to is acknowledging and recognizing what Jesus has done for us. And if we, when we begin to do that, what happens? We, we fall in love with him. And when we fall in love with him, we serve him not because we have to, but because we want to. Things change when we want to. When he changes our want to. And that's what he wants to do in each of our lives. But oftentimes people don't see that. They, they try to live by the law. And I don't know if you notice this. <laughs> maybe, I'm, I'm just, <clears throat> maybe I'm just unique this way. But you ever notice when there's something you're not supposed to do? How badly you want to do it. I guess it's just me. Nobody else even grunted. You know, let me, let me talk about me. <clears throat> when, I'm, when, when I'm not supposed to do something, there's a real want to. Oh, I want to. Why? Because that's just how we are created. And so then you, then you have the law. And you have all of this that you're not supposed to do and what happens? It, it, it creates a want to. 
Listen to this out of Romans, the sixth chapter, the 14th verse. And it says, For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under law, but under grace. Now notice what it says here. It says, For sin shall not have dominion over you. And why will not sin have dominion over you? Because you're not under law. You're under grace. What happens when we are under law? Sin has dominion over us because our every thought is consumed by that which we're not supposed to do. You know, <clears throat> You ever, you ever tried to lose weight? And so I'm not going to, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to cut back. And, uh, and so, you know, I don't, I don't eat breakfast anyway. But I'll tell you, when I've decided to lose weight by 11 o'clock in the morning, I am so hungry. I can't, I can't describe to you how hungry I am at 11 o'clock in the morning because it isn't because I'm eating differently yet. I haven't started eating differently yet. I've just made a decision that I'm going to eat differently. And so I'm thinking about it's not going to be a burger. It's going to be weeds and seeds. <laughs> and so as a result of that, I'm, I'm starving at 11 o'clock in the morning and I don't ever eat anything until later than that. Why is that? Because the thought consumes us and see that's what happens with the law. When an individual is under the law, they're consumed by the thought. What's the difference with grace? With grace, we don't have to approach it from a legalistic standpoint. With grace, what we do is we don't look what we've got to do. We look at what Jesus has already done for us. I guess I need to learn to diet by grace. But see, that's how we're to live our life. We're to live a life of grace, relying upon, dependent upon Jesus. 2 Timothy 2.15, it says... Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God. A worker who does not need to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. <clears throat> so what are, we, what are we diligent at? We're to be diligent to present ourselves to Jesus. What does that mean? That, that means we're to be diligent to recognize and acknowledge everything that Jesus has done for us. But then it goes on and it says, a worker who needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. <clears throat> rightly dividing, rightly interpreting the message of truth, the gospel of salvation. Jesus is truth. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. There is no way to the Father but through me. Jesus is truth. If you want to find, Jesus, find truth, you've got to find Jesus. If you want truth, you look to Jesus. 
Because everything else, what it wants to do is it wants to distract us. It wants to get our eyes off of Jesus. Isn't it interesting? In 1 John, where it talks about walking in love and walking in light and so on and so forth. It talks about how Jesus is the truth and, and how if we're going to live in the truth, what do we have to do? We have to recognize that Jesus came in the flesh. And why do we need to recognize that Jesus came in the flesh? Because if Jesus didn't come in the flesh, he, was not, he did not qualify to be the propitiation for our sins. And so any group, any religion, anything that does not recognize that Jesus has come in the flesh is false. It's not based on truth. Jesus is the truth. He is our hope. He is the one that we look to. It's through him that we find victory. And when we look to truth, what do we see? We see that by the stripes of Jesus we've been healed. We see that through Jesus he desires for us to prosper and be in health. Even our soul prospers. We see that through Jesus it was all taken care of. And so whatever that struggle is in each of our lives, Jesus has already overcome it. But the reason it overcomes us is we look elsewhere. We look to other things. We don't fix our attention upon Jesus and focus upon him. The word of truth is the word of grace. Because the moment that we get away from the message of grace, the moment that we get away from the word of, of grace, of truth, it becomes self-effort. We begin to do it in our own strength and our own ability. Now, again, I just want to emphasize the fact here. I'm, I'm not saying that as Christians we all find a place to hide and we stick our heads in the sand and we just wait for Jesus to drop it all out of heaven. No, he's given us direction. The Holy Spirit is, is in our life to give us direction. But we don't follow that direction just simply so that we can get stuff from him. He's already done it. He's already provided it. We recognize what he's already done for us. I talked about this a few weeks ago, how <clears throat> there's over 330-some passages in the scriptures, in the epistles, or, or, or references to, I better put it that way, of who we are in Christ and what Jesus has done for us. And that's what we focus upon. We look at what Jesus has done for us, and when we see everything that Jesus has done for us, we, we begin to believe. We become, begin to come to the realization, you know what? There's nothing impossible. Christ can do all things through me. Not just simply through somebody else. Not just simply through John Smithwick. He can do something through me. That's the God that we serve. But we need to be convinced of it. In Romans, the fourth chapter, beginning in the first verse, and it says, talking about the faith of Abraham, and it says, What then shall we say about Abraham, our father, has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham is justified by works, he has something to boast about 
but not before God. If Abraham does it by his own effort, he has something to boast about. You know, we, we, don't, we don't have anything to boast about. Because it's, it's because of Jesus. <clears throat> how, how do we... How do we stay humble in such an arrogant, proud world? We recognize that we, who we are and what we have is a direct result of what Jesus has done for us. And what happens then, it brings us this sense of humiliation. Uh, humility. Jesus took care of humiliation. Amen. It's when I get off into my own thing when I experience a little bit of humiliation. But you know, when we stay humble in Him, we recognize what He's done for us. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace but as debt. I'm sure you've heard me say this before, but I don't, I don't want what I've deserved. <laughs> I don't want what I've earned. I want grace. I want what Jesus has earned for me. And Abraham, he didn't, he didn't get what he deserved. He received righteousness. But it wasn't because he deserved it. It was by faith. And so that's the, that's the pattern of how grace works in our life. How did Abraham receive it? He received it by believing what God said. By accepting what God said. How do we receive? How do we believe? By accepting what God says. By believing what he says. In Galatians, the third chapter... In Galatians, the third chapter, the ninth verse, it says, So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Those that are of faith are blessed in the same way as believing Abraham. What did he believe? He believed God. It was accounted to him. It was reckoned to him as righteousness simply because he believed God. And so how do we believe, how do we receive the blessings that have been made available to us? By believing God. It's like Abraham did. You know, <clears throat> I'm, I'm sure that in Abraham's mind it made absolutely no sense that God would consider him righteous because he'd messed up plenty. Did you ever notice that about people in Scripture that God used? You look at it and you think, why in the world would he use him? Because they believed. Because they trusted. Because they put confidence in him. It isn't about our effort. It's about Jesus and what he's done for us. Verse 10, it says, For as many 
as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Curse is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. In other words, if we're going to do it by our own effort, we're, we're required, we're obligated to do it all perfectly. And the scripture says that if we're guilty in one point, we're guilty in the whole deal. And so, if you're basing it on your effort, on your goodness, on your effort, and you lied to somebody, you're a murderer. Because if you're guilty in one point, you're guilty of all. Because in, in, in the eyes of God, in spite of what some people will try to say to you, there aren't different, different levels of sin. Sin is sin. And the exciting thing about God is that he paid the whole thing for all of it. From what we would consider to be insignificant to that which we and the world would consider to be horrendous. Jesus paid the price for all of it. You know, I don't know. I have a, I have a feeling when we're going to heaven, get to heaven, we're going to have some surprises. There, there's some people that we think are going to be there that have been dependent upon their own effort their entire life. And they're not going to have the rewards we thought they were going to get. And there's going to be some people that we think when hell freezes over. And we're going to get to heaven and look around and think, oh my God, hell froze over. Why? Why? Because it wasn't about their effort. It was about putting their trust and their confidence in our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I, I'm, so, I'm so thankful that I've not been assigned to judge and determine whether or not somebody qualifies to get into heaven. You know, we're, we're just assigned the responsibility of preaching the good news, the gospel. We share it. We teach it. We try to get people to that point where they'll, on their own, receive what Jesus has done for them. But you know what? <clears throat> there, isn't a, there isn't a time period. Thank God there's individuals that are, that are going to spend eternity in heaven because of the last moment. And I wouldn't recommend this. But at the last moment, they cried out to God. And the God that I know isn't going to turn them away. They might not have got all the words pretty or anything else. You know, I've found in my life one of the most effective prayers is God help. Not very pretty. Doesn't sound very religious. But you know, when it's given out of sincerity, it's effective. And he hears us. And so he says, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them, if we're going to do it in our own effort. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by faith. We're justified. 
in the eyes of God. I heard a preacher say this one time. It's just as if we've never sinned. It's how God looks upon us. Just as if we've never sinned. When? When we put our confidence, when we look to him in faith, when we rely upon him and him alone and not on other circumstances and situations around about us. But it says... <clears throat> For as many are the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Curse is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith. But the man who does them shall live by faith. In other words, <clears throat> you know, it's interesting. I, I think I got messed up there, didn't I? Let me back up and... No, I didn't. I read the right thing. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I did it right. You see, this is what we need to see is it's not about us. It's about Jesus. And does it say that we're not supposed to be obedient and follow after the things of God? No, it doesn't say that. But it says that when we walk by faith, we're going, to, we're going to do more of the will by accident than we did by our own effort when we put our trust and our confidence in Him. Because we begin to look to Him, we begin to trust Him completely. He's never going to fail us. He's never going to forsake us. He's never going to let us down. He loves us. In Galatians 2.16, it says, Knowing that a man is not justified, made right with God, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith, but it's faith in something. Faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus. That we might be justified by faith in Christ. Not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. How are we justified? We're justified by putting our trust and putting our confidence in him. And so <clears throat> this is what it really comes down to for you and I. You know, and this is, you know, what we're, we're wanting to instill in everybody with, with the, the teachings that we're going through on Wednesday night is that we, we learn to rightly divide the word of truth. Now, you know, as a, as a pastor, that's my responsibility to see to it that I rightly divide the word of truth. But, you know, for each and every one of us, we carry that same responsibility. It's, it's for each and every one of us responsible to be able to look at the Word of God and understand the Word of God and divide the Word of God of truth in a way that we can apply it in our life that it's going to be effective. Because how else can you tell whether or not somebody is preaching to you something that is inaccurate? You know what? It's not wrong of you 
When you see something or if it be I, I'm up here preaching to you on a Sunday morning and I share something with you, it's not wrong for you to look at it and begin to think, I need to see chapter and verse on that. Because you know what that means? That means that you are rightly dividing the word of truth. You know, there's a, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff out there. And if you just listen to, listen to what every preacher or teacher has to say and you just, you just accept it hook, line, and sinker, I'll tell you something. You're going to be confused. You're going to be extremely confused because there's a lot of, there's a lot of weird stuff out there. So how do I keep from being confused? Because each and every one of us, we need to guard ourselves that we not be confused. How can I not be confused? Because I can look at the Word of God for myself. And I can rightly divide it for myself. And I'm just talking about in some of the simplest ways. You know, there, there's, some, there's some basic principles of of Bible interpretation. You know, and that's when we look at the Word of God, one of the first things we do is we, we determine as we're reading it, what dispensation is this in? In other words, is it talking about those that are under the law or is it talking about those that are under grace? We're under grace. And then we look at it and we, 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 we discern, okay, this is, this is Old Testament. But does it relate to New Testament principles? Because we're told that these Old Testament individuals and teachings were given to us as examples that we can look to. And so just as we're looking in the Old Testament and we're looking at Abraham, we can learn from Abraham's life. But we've got to rightly divide it. You know, there, there are things that Abraham did you don't want to pattern your life after. Amen. David was the apple of God's eye. He wrote these wonderful psalms that we get to, 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 to read and, and study. There's wonderful stuff in there. But let me tell you something. You don't want to pattern your life after David. The boy messed up. But you know what? He knew something though. He knew his God. And that's what we learn from the life of David, that no matter how badly he messed up, he always turned his attention back to God rather than continuing down the path that he had gone. We see this with the kings that follow after David and Solomon and, and those after. There were those that did good, but we find others that did evil. And you know what? They continued down that evil path. We see it with Christians today. They mess up and rather than repent and turn and come back to Jesus, they continue to go down that path. What's that path lead them? It leads them down the, the road of destruction. Thank God for repentance. Thank you for that rousing amen. It's one of the most beautiful doctrines you'll ever find in Scripture. Repentance. It's been warped, it's been confused, it's been 
taken out of context, but as Christians, repentance isn't a one-time event in our lives. We live a life of repentance. What does that mean? That means every time we see something in our life that doesn't line up with the Word of God, we repent, we turn. We turn to Jesus, we turn to God, we say, you're right, I'm wrong. And we change our behavior. If we don't change our behavior, we haven't repented. We may be sorry, but we haven't repented. Repentance means that we recognize the direction that we're going, that it's not the direction I want to go. I turn and I go in a whole new direction. That's what Jesus made available. And folks, listen to me. Not that it's easy, but it's that easy. It's that easy. We turn from the direction we're going and we, we choose to follow after him. You know, we look at Jesus and, you know, even with the Gospels, we have to, we have to rightly divide it. Because Jesus, under his ministry and in his life on the earth, he was basically living under Old Testament principles. How can you say that, Pastor Dave? Because he fulfilled it. Jesus lived his life the way that he did to fulfill the law because he lived it perfectly because he knew that you and I wouldn't be able to. And so he fulfilled that law perfectly. He was our substitute. And so that's why we, we look to him. In Matthew 5, 17 and 18 it says, Do not think that I came to destroy the law. This is Jesus speaking. Or the prophet. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Jesus came and he fulfilled the law. He did what no other human being, past, present, or future, has ever been able to do. He fulfilled it perfectly. And as a result of that, he qualified to be that perfect sacrifice for your sin and my sin. By faith, we're able to receive salvation, healing, deliverance, all the blessings of God because Jesus fulfilled it completely. That's why when you take Jesus out of the scenario, you end up with absolutely nothing. Other than Christianity, every religion is man's attempt to get right with God. And every one of man's attempts are a failure. And you know what? Even in, in some that are labeled Christian, it's, it's based on effort. It's not based on faith. And as a result of it being based on effort, there is, there's no peace. There's no peace because how can you have peace when it's based on your effort? Because how do you know if you've ever done enough? You know, BC, I remember, you know, people trying to witness to me and so forth. And they'd say, do you know you're going to, well, I think I am. You know, I'm, I'm pretty good. At least I'm better than my brother. Well, the comparison isn't with my brother. The comparison isn't between you and me. The comparison is between me and Jesus. 
And I fall way short. Every one of my efforts in life will fall way short in my own effort. But by faith, I receive what Jesus has already done for me. And you do too, amen? Amen. amen. It's not based on effort. In Hebrews, the fourth chapter, it says, beginning in verse 1, it says, Therefore, since the promise remains to enter his rest. So you have a, you have a promise to enter into the rest of God. It's not talking about going to sleep. It's talking about a place of rest. It says, therefore, since the promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. Come short of what? The rest. It's not talking about works. It's talking about rest. You've come short of entering into that place of, of rest, confidence. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest. As he has said, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although the works were done before the foundation of the world. Do you know what? Those that fused, refused to acknowledge, to recognize the completed works of Jesus will never enter into the rest. In, in fact, what will happen is they'll live a life that's basically under a curse. Not that they're cursed, but they'll live a life as if they're under a curse because they're constantly trying to be free of the curse because they have no peace in their life. But the Bible says for you and I, because we've entered into the rest, because we've received it by faith, we have a peace that surpasses human understanding. Why? Because it isn't based on what we see in this lost and dying world. It's based on what we know in Christ Jesus. And what do I know? I know that he died for me. I know that he is resurrected for me. I know that he's seated at the right hand of Father God for me. Amen. I know he's coming back for me. Amen. And so what can the enemy throw at me to steal my peace? Well, I throw a lot of junk, let me tell you that right now. But I determine whether I'm going to hear it, whether I'm going to receive it, whether I'm going to dwell on it. Or when the attack comes, am I going to refocus my attention upon the promise of God? Good preaching, Pastor Dave. Well, thank you. Hallelujah. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. Why did God rest on the seventh day? 
because he is done. He had completed his work. Dropping down to the ninth verse. Still in Hebrews 4. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. I qualify. I'm a people of God. So it says that there's a rest that remains for me. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also Hang on. Because you better hang on to your seat because you might want to throw something at me after I've said this. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from the works as God did from his. We cease from work. What, what does that mean? Let's cease. I, I, I'm no longer trying to earn my salvation. Why? Because I already have it. I'm able to rest. Why? Because I'm not trying to earn something. I've already got it. <clears throat> I, I, can, I can lay hands on the sick and see them recover and not feel any sense of having to try to work it out. Why? Because Jesus has already done it all. The enemy try to, may, may try to bring fear in one way or another. Oh, the economy, you know, the economy. You just don't know about the economy. Oh, you know, in this weather, you just don't know about this weather. And, you know, you farmers, you just better hum. Oh, you farmers, you're just, oh my, you farmers. Well, you know what? God's bigger than the economy. God's bigger than rain. God's bigger than... All of it. And that's where we put our trust. It's where we put our confidence because he doesn't change. Oh, the weather changes from moment to moment. You know, yesterday it just kept moving back, you know. and We thought we were going to get in a soccer game and the soccer game got canceled, but we had a birthday party and thought we were going to get in the birthday party and got in the birthday party and then, you know, well, it never did rain. You know, in the morning it started at 2 and disappeared. It changed. It changes. The economy changes. Everything around us changes. You can't, you can't put your confidence in. There's one thing you put your confidence in. Lord Jesus Christ. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. What does he say? He says rest. Enter into the rest. And again, I want to reiterate the fact rest here isn't talking about being inactive. It's an active rest. But it's not a it's not a burden. It's not trying. It's not my effort. Oh, I, I can't do this. Oh, no. We rest in Him. You know, I, I remember, you know, I mean, this is 39 and a half years now that I've been preaching. And I can remember Saturday nights. I'd be out here and I'd be walking around the sanctuary and I'd be telling God, oh God. You know, I'm, I'm telling him because I'm trying to work something out. But, you know, I mean, I mean, I have nothing. You understand what I'm saying? I, have, I don't even have a title. 
for Sunday morning. And I'm, I'm out here walking around. It's, it's 10 o'clock at night and I'm still walking. Oh God, give me a title. You know, and something to start with. And I, I, have, I have nothing. And I'm, I'm pleading with God. I'm informing God. I'm, I'm trying to drop the book open and see if it'll open to a passage. You know, and it's a passage I've never heard of. You know, and just something God, something God. I'm trying to work it up and work it up. And, and finally, I'll come to the, okay, this, this is your deal. I didn't ask to be called. <laughs> Never once asked to be called. I mean, remember, I tried to run from it. You know, and, and so it, it's, it's up to you if, if I don't have anything on Sunday morning. Guess I don't need anything. There were Sunday mornings I didn't need anything. Or he'd give me one scripture. And that's all I needed because the Holy Ghost wanted to take it from there. You know, I, I've learned... Uh, you know, and besides that, you don't really want what I can work up for you. Because it isn't going to do you or anybody else any good. You know, um, all I can say concerning ministry is thank God for the Holy Ghost. But if the Holy Ghost wasn't here, I would be in trouble and you would be left with absolutely nothing. He's a good God. But we enter into his rest. But, but notice, <clears throat> I had to choose to enter into the rest. You know, I, I remember being, you know, you've heard my story in Sao Paulo, Brazil, riding the back seat of this taxi, and it's supposed to be a five-minute ride, and, you know, 20 minutes later, we're still riding around, and I'm seeing parts of Sao Paulo I do not want to see. And I can feel, feel the fear rising up on the inside of me that this taxi guy could stop someplace and they could take me and roll me and nobody would see this little old fat American again. And, you know, I mean, the fear just tried to grip me. And I, 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 I finally says, I got a hold of myself. Ever realize sometimes you got to get a hold of yourself? You have to <laughs> shape up. Wake up. And so I, 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 I did, I'm in the back seat of this car and I'm saying, you know what? God, I believe God called me here. He told me to come here and preach uh, in these schools. And if he's called me to do it, it's his responsibility. And so I'm seeing parts of, say, Paulo, Brazil, other Americans have never seen. And so I'm just going to sit back and I'm going to be at rest. And I'm gonna, I didn't use the word rest, but I'm going to sit back and I'm just going to enjoy the view because God is bigger than this situation. And so I sat back and enjoyed the view. And before very long, he pulled in front of this Hilton. I don't know if I'd ever stayed in a Hilton like this before in my life. All I can say is thank God for plastic. But it worked. But you know what? I could have been tormented. And we're tormented by things because we don't enter into the rest. We don't recognize what Jesus has done for us. We see it over and over again that, that people, believers, are tormented because of one report, because of one thing that is said. 
that goes contrary to the way that we want things to be. We need to enter into the rest. There's a Sabbath rest for each and every one of us. But for us, the Sabbath rest is not a day. It's a person. It's Jesus. It's recognizing and acknowledging what Jesus has done for each and every one of us. In Joshua 24, 13, it says, I have given you a land for which you did not labor. You know, it's interesting about the children of Israel. They would have just simply obeyed God and not allowed circumstances to, to intervene. They would have gone into the promised land. God says, I've given it to you. And that's the position that you and I are in. He's given it to us. But how do we appropriate it in our lives? We do it by faith. What God wanted of the children of Israel to go into the promised land, he wanted to do it, them to do it by faith. <coughs> yes, what they saw in the natural contradicted what God said was available to them. But he wanted them to believe. And when you believe something, you act upon it. He wanted their action. He wanted them to cross over and enter into the land. But yet 40 years later is where it comes to pass and he's saying to Joshua, I have given you a land for which you did not labor, cities which you did not build, and you dwell in them. You eat of the vineyards and the, the olive groves which you did not plant. There is so much that God wants to invest in our lives and we've done absolutely nothing to earn it or deserve it. Healing belongs to me. And I've done absolutely nothing to earn it or deserve it. All I could do is receive what Jesus has done for me by faith. We live a blessed life, a prosperous life. And I've done nothing to earn it or deserve it. Now that doesn't mean that you don't work. The Bible says if you don't work, neither should you eat. So that means that we, we labor in that regard, but we do it in faith. We invest. Why do we invest? We invest because we put our trust in Him. And we're not putting our trust in the investment. But the scripture says that a, a godly man has, has an inheritance to give to his children and his children's children. So it's a godly thing. And so we just simply apply the principles that he's given us in his word. But we do it by faith. It's not because of fear. You know, there's, there's so many people that, that they, they, they save their money, they, they do all this stuff, but it's, it's not as an investment, it's, as, it's, it's motivated out of fear. We're not moved by fear. We're moved by faith. One last passage, Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter. Jesus has done it all for us. Deuteronomy, the 6th chapter and the 10th verse. It says, So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land. And here it's talking about bringing into the land again. Of which he swore to your fathers. 
to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of good things which you did not fill, hew out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. When you have eaten and are full, then beware lest you forget. See, there's the problem. We forget. You shall fear the, um, you shall fear the Lord your God. Well, let me start the first part of the verse again. Then beware lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. You shall fear the Lord your God and serve him and shall take an oath to him. We shall fear the Lord. You know, God never takes you out without wanting to bring you in. He brought the children of Israel out of Egypt with the intent of them entering in to the promised land. You know, there's a lot of Christians that are wandering in the wilderness. God brought them out of this lost and dying world to take them in to a land of promise. And the promise that we have is everything that Jesus has done for us. But there's a lot of believers that are still wandering in the wilderness. They're still trying to earn the promised land. When the promise has already been made to you and I and to the generations that follow. And how do we receive it? We receive it by faith. Does that mean we just go out and do whatever we want? No. Because if we have faith, we follow him, we serve him. And we don't do it out of obligation, but we do it out of appreciation. Knowing what he's done for us and knowing that in that regard, we will continue to experience the abundant life, not allowing ourselves to forget about him. See, the other day I was reading the proverb, this is Schroeder's paraphrase. He says, Lord, don't give me too much and don't give me too little. Don't give me too little so that I go out and steal and I make your name a slap in the face, but don't give me too much that I forget about you. You know, we all want to be blessed. We all want to prosper. Amen? So, you know what we need to do? We need to make sure that our heart is right. That we can handle it. Like I said last week, you know, I'll never win the lottery. Because I've never bought a ticket. But you know what? Somebody came up to me and said, Pastor, I just won the $250 million lottery. I want to give you the ticket. You know what I would say? I'd say thank you. <laughs> Why aren't you afraid of falling away? No. 
I'd use it for the glory of the kingdom. Probably take a long vacation too, but <clears throat> I'd use it for his kingdom. Why? Because I believe that my focus is on him. And no matter what was in my banking account, he would still be number one in my life. You know, sometimes where we are right now, it may seem easy to serve him. But you know what? We need to prepare our hearts for what's coming. And I'm not talking about lack. I'm talking about abundance. That we need to prepare our hearts so that we are in a position where we're able to use what he's invested in our life and in our ministry for his kingdom, for his glory. Because just as we saw with John Smithwick this morning, there's a need for some people with $250 million to be willing to invest in a major way in the kingdom of God. Why? Because it's God's will for all to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. And that's not just simply overseas, that's here in the States as well, in every part of the world, that they might know him. Amen. That must be signifying that my time is up. <laughs> Hallelujah. Isn't he wonderful? Yes. Glory to God. Aren't you glad yes. what Jesus has done for you? Stand up on your feet. Becky doesn't always like it when I say that, so if you don't want to stand on your feet, stand on your hands. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You awake. Yes. Well, lift up your voice to him. Hallelujah. Thank him for his goodness and for his love. Thank him for the victory that is ours. Thank him that we are in the land of promise, that we have healing, deliverance, everything that is needful in our lives. We have it in Christ Jesus. We receive it by faith, not by our actions, but by what Jesus did for each one of us. And so, Father, we thank you and we give you praise and glory and honor. Father, we thank you. We are whole in Jesus' name. Those things that want to attach themselves to our bodies, they must go in Jesus' name. Lack is just a term in our lives. It has no place in our lives, spiritually, emotionally, financially, any area of our life. Lack has no place. We have abundance above and beyond what we could ever ask, think, or imagine because of Jesus. And so we thank you, Father, and we give you praise in that majestic name. The name above every name. And so, Father, I speak a blessing upon these, your people. We walk in abundance. We walk in prosperity. We walk in health. We walk free of oppression because of Jesus. And so we thank you. Father, we're affecting in a positive way our community because we're permeated with your spirit. And when we come into the presence of people, things change and they don't even know why. And it's because of you. You, Lord Jesus. You, Lord Jesus. You, Lord Jesus. We rest in you. We don't feel any obligation to perform. We just have a need and a desire to follow. 
to follow your leading, to follow your example, to follow the precious Holy Spirit that you've invested into each of our lives. And we choose to follow. And so, Father, we bless you. We thank you that we could come together today. We want you to receive the glory. Thank you, Father. And so, Father, as we go as your witnesses, as your representatives in this world, in this community, we thank you for your goodness and love. And, Father, we go in the Father and the the Son, the Holy Spirit, and their power and their strength and their anointing. Lead us and guide us every step. And we'll give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Give somebody a hug. Let them know you love them. Don't forget about the gathering out back.